0: Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. This morning's going to be a little bit different. I'm not preaching this morning, and I... Don't applaud, somebody started to, don't, don't do it. I'm not preaching this morning, today our whole focus, our whole time together is the Lord's Supper. This meal that's the most important meal of our life. We thought it'd be a good week to focus entirely on the Lord's Supper as we're preparing for another big meal on Thursday, the Thanksgiving meal. But there is no meal like this one, the Lord's Supper. And so you're gonna hear from several of our shepherds throughout the service, some of them by video, and then some of them live, who will lead us into a time of Lord's Supper. And essentially our whole morning this morning is an extended Lord's Supper meditation.
1: Good morning, church. I'd like to share some of my perspective with you around the breaking of the bread aspect of our communion this morning. Two things that came to mind for me. First, As a member of the Highland Mission Committee, I have the privilege of the front row seat to seeing how God's kingdom is in the works around the world. We have mission points in Ukraine, Papua New Guinea, the Philippines, China, as well as our recent partnership efforts through a young couple in Malaga at the southern tip of Spain. Even though it sprinkles around multiple time zones, every Sunday morning, these brothers and sisters come together for the breaking of the bread, just like what we're about to do right now. In China, it is not uncommon to even break bread on Sunday evening for the house churches because of their work schedule. At one point, we even learned that a big church in Beijing, China had eight services throughout each Sunday. One service in English, three in Mandarin, one in Vietnamese, one in Thai, and so forth. You see the connectedness among all of our brothers and sisters? That common bond of love and fellowship on each Lord's Day. This also helped me feel that I'm never ever alone in any situation, especially in the midst of the pandemic. Someone once told me that even though you could be in a party room full of people, yet you still feel so alone, thinking that there's no one else in exact same situation as you. You see, one reason that I believe Jesus established communion is to remind us that through all things, we're never alone. You remember he even sends out his disciples two by two in pairs. The kingdom of God is larger than us. Recognizing that collective connectedness uplifts us to never feel so alone in any given situation. The second aspect of the breaking of the bread here is about the family of people around that table. Only through looking backward that I've realized that I'm glad my wife and I value that dinner meal together each night with our family. When our kids are young, we prioritized that togetherness around the table for dinner each night. As they grow, we would have to spend more time waiting around for them to get home. That waiting around made us value even more that spending time together around that table. But more importantly it is about bringing your family with you into your ministry because it has the potential to bless your multi-generational families. For instance, I can point to the Frizels family in our midst. How often do you see all these three generations of them here each Sunday? You find them involved in our children ministries and represented in different worship services. My own children are benefited by their multi-generational encouragement growing up here at Highland. Looking around you, this is the here and now kingdom of God. And chances are, these are the people you want to break bread with around the table. It's just the mere fact that you and I, not only breaking bread around the same table, which in and of itself, that bring our relationship closer, there are surprisingly many common ground that we could build upon since we belong to the same congregation today is the lord's day it is a special day thank you for allowing me to share these thoughts with you and i quote our great larry mckenzie i am grateful in the children's tale the lion the
2: witch and the wardrobe we have an epic battle between good and evil it's a gripping story that reaches its climax when aslan the lion willingly gives up his life to the White Witch in exchange for the life of Edmund. When Aslan is killed by the White Witch, Edmund's sisters, Lucy and Susan, stay with Aslan's body throughout the night. But the next morning, they awaken to the sound of the cracking of the stone table on which Aslan was killed, but Aslan has disappeared. Aslan has risen from the dead, and he returns to Narnia, victorious over the evil White Witch. It's a story of the triumph of good over evil, and it is a clear allusion to our own futile struggles with evil and how Christ willingly gave his own life in exchange for ours and victory over the evil one. In Mark chapter 14, verse 24, Jesus is observing the Passover meal with his disciples. In this meal, they were remembering when the Israelites were delivered from slavery in Egypt. During the 10th and final plague, the Israelites were told to take the blood of a sacrificial lamb and paint it on their door frames so their homes would be passed over when the firstborn of the Egyptians died. As Jesus and his disciples ate this Passover meal, he took the cup and he said this, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Jesus knew that shortly after this meal with his disciples, he would willingly give up his own life so that spiritual death would pass over those who took on his name. In Leviticus, God says that the life of all creatures is in its blood. Jesus was going to give up his own life blood to permanently set things right, triumph over evil, and redeem us from our sins. In C.S. Lewis's story, the first talking animal the children meet in Narnia is a beaver who brings them to his home. Mr. Beaver is a believer in Aslan, the true ruler of Narnia. But in the beginning of the story, Aslan is only a distant memory and hasn't been seen in Narnia for generations. Narnia is ruled by the evil white witch and many creatures have given their allegiance to her. But there are some animals who have remained loyal to the true king. Mr. Beaver is one of those faithful animals and he keeps his faith alive through the remembrances of little poems or as he calls them, old rhymes like this one. Ron will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bares his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. For us, Christ has already come and willingly given up his own lifeblood so that we could be freed from the shackles of sin. But that happened many years ago, and time has a way of causing memories to fade. We have a way, though, of keeping that memory alive. Jesus told his followers that when they ate the bread, it represented his body given for them, and the cup was a new covenant in his blood. They were to eat and drink this supper together in remembrance of him. For generations, Christians have done just that. And today we continue to come to the table together so that we never forget, so that we keep the faith, And we will always remember how Christ willingly gave His lifeblood and exchanged His life for ours. Hey, y'all remember these? These are collection
3: plates. And they used to be a really important part of our worship before COVID. There's an interesting thing about these, or a weird phenomenon, I always thought. Um, During our time of communion, if the bread was passed down the road, it would kind of move between people slowly, you know, pausing between, as people contemplated and took the bread. Then the Jews, people would... Take the juice and it would slowly move along the row from end to end. But this plate, this bad boy, it didn't pause. It just right down the row like a frisbee. And In fact, if you were the guy at the end of the row holding it, it was like it was uncomfortable, like you wanted to get rid of it, you know, like it was hot. I always thought that was kind of funny and weird, you know. Why do we, why do we feel that way? And, uh, what is it about money that makes us uncomfortable? It seems kind of personal, right? Well, I can tell you what the world says about it. The world says, and it frames our generosity, because it says we should we'll be afraid of the future. We should hoard our money. We should hold it. We should keep it, because there may be a, a skinny time or a skimp time in the future that we're going to need it. Also, the world says, let's increase our standard of living. You need to improve your lifestyle. We use terms like starter home, which not implies your first home, but it also kind of seems to imply that you're getting a better one later on. And then the third thing the world tells us that uh, affects our generosity is that we need to compare ourselves to others. You know, our neighbor drives up in the driveway with a new Ford F-150, and we look and go, wow, man, he's got a new Ford F-150. I work hard. I deserve a new one, too. Uh, But I'm going to get the platinum version. So other things the world says. Uh, Funny thing is, this is not a new problem. This problem's been around a long time since man. Jesus addresses it. I'm going to read to you something he has to say about that. In Luke 12, 15 and 21, Jesus said, Watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. And he told this parable The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, Well, what should I do? I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and I'll store my surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then he'll get what you prepared for yourself. Now, this is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. That rich farmer used the word I or me or myself 10 different times in that parable. He had an inward focus. He forgot about Well, who supplied his blessings in the first place? Well, that's an inward life. what's What's an outward life like? What's a generous life like? There was an old radio show host in the 1950s named Earl Nightingale who summed it up pretty well. He said, our success is directly related to the quality and the quantity of the service we give. He understood that there was a correlation between our generosity and real success. And the Bible holds this out as well. In Proverbs eleven twenty five, it says, "The generous will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed." So it seems that we should we should believe for abundance, so that we can refresh other people with it. And isn't there a release in the letting go? If you've ever given something that was hard for you to give away, and you knew you needed to, and you did it with the right heart. You know what God meant, Jesus meant when He said, "It's more blessed to give than it's to receive." So we're compelled to give. It's important. Compelled to give the big things. Last week, we had an amazing result. I mean, we collected for our special contribution. Over $275,000 was collected in a week uh, by the people here at this church. That's awesome. But we're also supposed to give to other things, like, well, the place you're sitting in. You give so that the people that are ministers here can support the ministries that we have and the awesome things that go on here. We're to give because the guy in front of you or the lady behind you or the person across the row, they might need need to be refreshed and you yourself someday might need to be refreshed. So our giving, our generosity, it's an important part of worship. We give because, well, it's an outpouring of an understanding that we have a generous God, the God who gave his son who gave us eternal redemption, and that's generosity. Today we have celebrated together a meal,
4: and we are anticipating. A meal that, if it's like my experience, you anticipate a house full of people at multiple tables with much food, and a time to remember to give thanks. As Christian people, we know to whom we are thankful And we have so many blessings that we can't count them all. But Thanksgiving is a time to express our gratitude to God for so many blessings. Today's occasion, the Lord's Supper, also called Communion, is both a memorial instituted by Jesus himself, but it also helps us to announce the Lord's death till he come. Jesus came to the earth in human form. That's the Christian doctrine of the Incarnation. God became one of us to bring to us the forgiveness of our sins. It's not an event of myth or dream It's real history, at the time chosen by God and seen by many people who bear witness to it. It is a future because of his resurrection, but it is also our confident expectation of our resurrection with him in the future. We will rise from the dead. And today, we have this symbolic memorial meal, even as we are anticipating a festive meal of Thanksgiving with friends and family as our nation joins together in expressing thanksgiving to the God from whom all blessings flow. In both cases, the meal brings us together, joins us as a unit As Paul says, we who are many, because we partake of one loaf, are one body. It is a physical gathering and eating. Have you noticed the many references in Scripture to Jesus' physical body, to his flesh and blood? It's in his own words of institution. He said, this is my body, and this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. In John chapter 6, when Jesus called himself the bread of life, he then said that his followers must eat of his flesh and drink his blood. Those were offensive words to the people who first heard it. It should not be so with us. From the introduction to John's gospel, we read the word became flesh and lived among us. From Hebrews chapter 10, quoting from Psalms, the writer says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. The way in which Jews and Gentiles were brought from two into one body, according to Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, is that, be, that Jesus abolished in his flesh the dividing walls between us. For us, today, it is an opportunity for both memorial and proclamation You proclaim the Lord's death till he come. We participate with each other in announcing our faith. It is intended to be a shared experience, just as our Thanksgiving meal will be a shared experience. It is a repeating of the gospel news of our salvation. Much as Thanksgiving meals remind us to express our gratitude to our maker, so communion together reminds us of the great debt that has been forgiven in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it guarantees our hope for the future as a result. Will you bow with me in prayer? Our Father, with you, all things are possible. And even so, we cannot comprehend the love and grace that prompted you to send Jesus in the flesh with a body. With the same nerve endings and pain that we experience to die on the cross so that our sins might be forgiven. We don't deserve that gift. We can't understand that gift. But we believe that you are such a God of love and gracious giving that you have given us the promise of forgiveness because of the blood and body of Jesus. We thank you. At this time, particularly, we are grateful. May we carry the message in the lives we live May we remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. May we live in the hope of our resurrection and sharing an eternal life both
3: now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.